from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. You have your Bibles, John 13 this morning. John 13, and we're going to begin in verse 31, even though we're going to focus on the first three verses of John 14. Uh, John 14 answers the question asked in John 31. And as you, you turn there, one of the things that's about to happen and just where we are in, in the gospel of John is really from the begin, end of John 13 all the way to the end of John 17, this is Jesus talking. There's a couple times when he is interrupted with questions. I think there's just, just three, Peter interrupts, Thomas interrupts, and is it Philip? I think Philip interrupts with a question. But other than that, it's, it's Jesus talking. And so he is going to cover a multitude of things, a multitude of truths. And we also always need to remember that in the context of Jesus speaking, he is speaking specifically to the disciples. Okay, this is, this is discipleship training, if you want to. If you want, really wanted to, to outline or give a title to the next three chapters, it's discipleship training at the feet of the master, because that that's what we are getting. And so Jesus is going to help them understand his mission, what he is going to do, and what needs to happen after he leaves. And as we are working through this, there are some times when I just, I love preaching through scripture like this because it brings us to passages like this when we need to hear them. Because the whole point of the message this morning is troubled hearts. And I'm pretty sure that there's a few here today that have troubled hearts. We've all been in that. And Jesus has the answer for that. People a lot of times ask, does Scripture really have the answer for fill in the blank? And the answer is yes, it really does. And Scripture has the answer for troubled hearts this morning. And we're going to look at that. So let's begin in verse 31 and read down to verse 3 of John 14. When he, meaning Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So this morning... Starting in verse 31, we are reminded that Judas has left from the, the Last Supper, that he's not there anymore. So Jesus is with the 11 disciples, and he just again tells them that he is going to depart. 
He's going to leave them. And Peter asked the question that we all want to know, where are you going? Hey, I've been walking with you for three years, and wherever you go, I'm going to go too. And Jesus says, Peter, you, you can't come with me. And in the context of that, Jesus is specifically talking about the cross. You can't go with me to the cross, Peter. The cross is mine. I'm going. You can't go. You can't make atone for sins. I can. Peter says, but Lord, I, I want to go. I, I, I want to be there. Peter can't go. But then begin in verse 14, we get an insight into the hearts of the disciples. This teaching has troubled them. Right? We learn in John chapter 2, right? Really important verse at the end of John chapter 2. Jesus knows the hearts of men. He knows what is in their hearts. And in John 14, verse 1, Jesus is telling us what is in the hearts of his disciples. He knows it. He feels it. He's aware of it. All right, you ever been around somebody? You, you, you've been around somebody. You can tell physically sometimes when their hearts are troubled. They give off a different vibe. You just, you just know it. You can feel it. So Jesus now is going to answer them and give them the solution for troubled hearts. And so this morning, I want you to notice two things that is the solution. One, it just, it's just flat out. It says, Jesus calms troubled hearts, right? Jesus calms troubled hearts. This is not the first time we have read the word troubled. Remember, we've seen it twice before, and it was both times it was talking about Jesus. Outside of Lazarus' tomb, Jesus was troubled, informing the disciples that the hour had now come where it had passed from the hour was in the future to the hour is now. It said Jesus' hearts were troubled, or Jesus' heart was troubled. But now it's the disciples. The disciples are troubled. They can't understand. And again, we, have, we can't read ourselves back into Scripture. We love doing that. Well, I would have got it. I would have understood it all, right? We don't understand it all today. <laughs> let alone in the moment of when it is happening. But the fact that Jesus is going to the cross, that He's going to make atonement for our sins, that He's going to die, they, they still can't understand it. They're stuck in that Jesus is leaving, and this has caused their hearts to be troubled. So Jesus looks at them, and He gives them a command. And the command is so simple. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. That command is so simple, right? I mean, it's, it's just so easy to understand. When I was writing this, I had, I had two competing images pop into my mind. One was instructions for Legos. Okay, Legos used to be really simple. But now if you ever walk down the Lego aisle, you see they got Star Wars. Uh, they got Harry Potter Legos. They, they, they've got these, these huge, huge models. And you'll get, star, you'll get the, the Lego, and, and they'll have a book. And it, I mean, it's a book. Like It's like that thick. It's like a hundred some pages. 400 steps to put a Lego together. Right? It can be kind of complicated. The other image was, has anybody ever bought anything from Ikea? 
that you had to put together. And y'all seen the IKEA instructions, right? I, I, I would really like to know who drew the, the IKEA guy in the instructions. That is the strangest looking person that I've ever seen, right? I mean, but you look at the instructions and you're like, I, I think I know what you're telling me to do, but I'm not really sure because sometimes it looks like I need to stand on my head, spin around four times, and poof, it's magically put together. There are so many things in our lives that are complicated, that are difficult. We try to figure out what we're going to do, how we're going to follow it. And Jesus looks at them, and He doesn't give them a complicated list or set of instructions for troubled hearts. He looks at them and says, your heart is troubled. There is only one thing that you need to do to have a calm heart. And He says, believe in Me. Believe in Me. And He bases that Right here it says, believe in God, believe in me. Because who's he talking to? He's talking to Jews who would have, as kids, gone to temple. Who would have been raised in the house where every morning they would have gotten up and they would have uh, recited the Shema, right? Our Lord, our God, you are one, right? And, and talk about teaching the statutes of the Lord, right? This, this is tantamount to you growing up in Sunday school. You being here in Sunday school, you know, you're, you're here nine months. You're a member of church nine months before you're ever born. Right? And, and you go to Sunday school and you go to, you're, you're here, you know it. And Jesus just looks at the people who have been showing such fidelity to the Father and says, Now believe in me. That same fidelity that you have in the Father, believe in me. Just, just transfer it to me. After all, they've, they've been taught from Jesus for, for years now I am the bread of life, I am the living water, I am, I am the good shepherd. We know John 8, 35, where Jesus says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, I am God. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. Again, confronted with the mystery of the Trinity, not that they are the same person, but they have the same essence, they have the same will, they have the same desire. And Jesus is saying, look, here I am, the one sent by God, to fulfill all the promises of the Old Testament that you know that you believe in. Now, believe in me. Believe in the signs. The lame walk, the blind see. John says, I've written, so I've written these signs so that you may know, that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and believe in Him. You may have life. Your hearts are troubled, disciples. Believe in me. Now, this is so... This, this is important for us as a church, as it's important for the church today. And the importance is this. When our hearts become troubled, we want the solution to be a new feeling. We, we, we want a, a new experience. Something, anything that replaces the trouble that we have. Oh, this over here is, is causing me to, to have my heart troubled. So what I want to do is I want to get out of this situation and have a new experience. So the new experience replaces the bad. And now, now my heart is calm. I want a new emotion. Right? You, you hear people talk about, you know, I just, I, I want a, a new touch of the Spirit. We, we must be careful 
Because when Jesus says this right here, he says, believe in me. He doesn't say believe in a new experience. He doesn't say believe in a new feeling. He says, believe in me. And in believing in him, what he is calling us to do is to actually engage our minds. Now notice this, our hearts are troubled, but Jesus is calling us to engage our minds. Again, I know I come across as just like, I don't like emotions. I'm just, you should see when I take personality quizzes, I come up, I'm like a robot. Like, it's just, you feel bad? Well, just, you know. I'm I'm sorry, just go on. I mean, it is right. It's it 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 it's hey, it's just it's who guys are, I think, sometimes, right? But but and I don't want you to understand I don't want anybody to say, well, emotion Gary is saying emotions are bad. We can't, you know, show up. No, no, I'm not saying that. The problem becomes if our hearts are troubled. And to replace that troubled hearts, we look for a new experience or a new feeling. We're going to be on an endless cycle where the solution to a troubled heart is never obtained. But Jesus doesn't say that you can't get there. He doesn't say jump on a treadmill so that you just keep going in circles. He says, your heart is troubled. Believe in me. And when he calls us to believe in him, he is calling us to engage our brains and go, what do we know. Because when your heart becomes troubled, the question we need to go back and ask is, what do we know? What do we as believers today know? And again, this is where we have to be careful. This is where if we let experience say, all right, I need a new experience, that new experience, we're going to look for it outside of Scripture. And we're told inside of Scripture that all, not all spirits are from God, that we're to test the spirits. So if we step outside of Scripture, and this is what we know, right? I mean, we got to go to Hebrews 1 again. In these last times, God has spoken to us through Jesus. So what we know about God, what we know about Jesus, we only know through Scripture. So when our hearts are troubled, this is where we go. And we start looking and we go, what do we know? Well, we know Jesus is the Word made flesh. We know that Jesus is the Son of God. We know that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. We know that Jesus is the ultimate messenger of God. We know these things. We also know the wonderful passages that that contain promises in Scripture. We go through and we list the promises that we know because they have been told to us. Peace I give you. Not as the world gives peace that I give, but I give you my peace. I, I leave it with you. These things I have spoken to you that your, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I have come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We know that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession. 
We know that we have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. We saw in Sunday school this morning, we know that we can be forgiven of our sins and that God is faithful and just to remove those sins from us as far as the east is from the west. When our hearts are troubled, the question is not, where is the new experience to replace the troubled hearts? It's what do I know? What has Scripture taught me? And what Scripture teaches us is to believe in Jesus, to believe in the one sent by God to attain our salvation and to usher in all the promises that we see in Scripture. Now, here's the really hard part about preaching this passage. And the hard part is this. I'm just going to put it out there. If your heart is troubled... Okay, because look, I, I, I know, and I'm trying not to skip down to the, the passage in John where Jesus says, in this life you will have trouble, but take heed, I have overcome the world, right? I'm trying not to skip down there because we haven't gotten there yet. But right now, because there's an important distinction Jesus makes between the world and the heart. But right now, if Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, believe in me, if your heart is troubled... Not that the world is going crazy, not that there's trouble in the world, but if your heart this morning is troubled, where's the break? What's been disconnected? You see why I didn't want to ask that question? <laughs> it's not a fun question to ask. Because if we understand correctly what Jesus is saying and, and we go, my, my heart is troubled this morning, then that means that somewhere there's a break in our belief and our faith in Jesus and what we know. Not in our salvation. I'm not saying there's nothing to do with our salvation. But in the moment that whatever is causing us trouble, whatever is happening in the world or in our life that is causing our heart to be troubled, we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. And we've taken our eyes off of, of what we know. Now, I'm also painfully aware this morning. The past four weeks have been some troubling weeks. <laughs> I, I mean, and as I was writing that, I thought, you know, it's not really been the four weeks. There's been some things this year that I've had to do that I never wanted to do or would like to attend. I mean, you know, going to the two funerals or four-year-old boys is just not natural. I've had to preach two funerals in the past three weeks. I would rather, as much as I loved Rick and loved Joe, I would have rather not preached their funerals, to be perfectly honest with you. I understand this morning that there's a, a lot of stuff that is basically... If you want to think of another analogy, we're in the boat and the waves are tossing us to and fro. I understand that. And I am sympathetic to that. At the same time, Scripture tells us that the solution for the disciples and the solution for us today in times of stress, times of doubt, times of confusion, in times of anxiety, in times when we feel like we're in a little rowboat in the middle of the ocean with storms and waves assailing us from every single answer or every single angle. The answer 
to that troubled heart is to believe in the one who looks at the storm and says, peace, be still. Is to believe in the one who has said, I have come so that your hearts will not be troubled. Because Jesus is the one that calms our troubled hearts. But secondly, Jesus continues. It's not disjointed, but the second part of his answer as well helps control or, or calm our troubled hearts because he says, I am the one that secures your eternal destiny. Now, that's a soothing thought to a troubled heart, too. What did Jesus says, believe in me. What do we know? We know that Jesus secures our eternal destiny. I mean, based on what they've already seen, what they've already heard, what Jesus has already taught, they have enough to believe, don't they? I mean, again, we put ourselves in the disciples' shoes, and we would like to think that if we were there that day with the man more blonde, one of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture, right? Are you the man more blonde? Uh-huh. Are you sure? Uh-huh. Are you really, really sure? Well, let me think about it and get back to you. Maybe I wasn't. We'd like to think that if we were disciples, you know, the day that Jesus healed his, his eyes, you know, he could see again, that that would have been it. I don't need any other thing, Jesus. You are the one from God. Because as the man says in his testimony, hey, show me another time in history that a man been born blind can now see. And we like to think, you know, from, from that time on, or, you know, if we're really super spiritual, you know, from the, the, the miracle in John chapter 2, we'll, we'll go back from John 9, I'll beat you. I'm at John 2. He turned water to wine, so I, I know it's a miracle. I believe in Jesus. The disciples have enough reason to believe in him. And here Jesus gives them one more reason. He says, look, I'm departing from you. I know that you want to look and have troubled hearts. Believe in me. At the same time, I'm departing for you so that I can secure your eternal destiny. And he says this when he says, look, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And as Jesus says that, we can't run past those two words, I go. There's a lot in two words. Because when Jesus says, I go, what he again is telling us that this is purposeful. I go is a statement of purpose. The cross isn't just going to sneak up on Jesus like some type of accident. He didn't see it coming. He's going. Nor... Is it going to be a cessation of his work? Oh, Jesus' work on this earth is done. No, no, Jesus is working on the cross. It is his, on the cross. Where, what, what was the word you used this morning in, in, in Sunday school? About saturated. Thank you. For Jesus on the cross is, is saturated with our sins. He's, he's, he's working on the cross. He's going to be working after the cross. Where is Jesus now? Post-cross, post-resurrection. In heaven, at the right hand of the Father, doing what? Interceding for us. Again, he, you know, going to the cross, I go, and me going to the cross, it's going to look like I've stopped working, but I haven't stopped. I am, I am still working. I go also indicates direction. Right? He's, he's going through a specific route. One of the things that I always I enjoy, anybody ever use Google Maps or Apple Maps? Right? 
you're just going somewhere. And I use them a lot of times. I know where I'm going. I know how to get there. But there's a couple different ways. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just, I don't know what it is, OCD, geeky, I don't know. I just want to know which one is quicker. I'm, I'm just kind of curious. I can go this way or I can go this way. Which one is quicker? And then you get, you know, well, this one is quicker, but I go 10 miles out of the way. So do I want to get there quicker or do I want to save a third of a tank of gas? Right? But there's always that third option. You ever notice the third option? Y'all know what I'm talking about with the third option? Some of you do. The third option is I want to go northwest, but I start off and I go southeast. And you look at the directions and you go, that third option is 30 miles out of the way and takes me 45 minutes longer. Why is it even on the map? Why is this even a choice for me to go? Who goes this way? Right? We know how to go places. There's a specific way to get there. And when Jesus says, I go, he's telling us that there is a specific way and a specific route in this plan, in his work, and it is the cross and the resurrection. That's where he's going. That is the destination. And the final part of that is he's going to the Father's house which in this context means heaven. We are, we are talking about heaven here. He's going to heaven. Now, we have a small issue with this Bible verse. And the issue is this. How many learned how to memorize this in the King James? Right? Yep. In my Father's house are many what? Mansions. Right? And you hear mansions, and, and again, I think in pictures, as soon as I heard mansions, I'm driving through Renolda. I'm driving down Buena Vista. I'm looking at all, all those houses. And so for those of us around here, that, that's, that's heaven to us. We're going down there and going, wow, this is what heaven's going to look. Somebody's going to have a great big house over here, and somebody's going to have a great big house over here, and somebody's going to When the King James was translated, mansion didn't mean mansion. Okay, this, this, is, this is a change of language over 400 years. So I'm not saying they did a bad job. I'm just saying when they translated it, it was correct. It, it means something entirely different now. Because mansion, 400 years ago, just meant a modest dwelling place. But that's not what a mansion means to us. But that's literally what the word means, right? It, it, it's, it's a dwelling place. And the reason that it is better is because Jesus' point is not the extravagance of the place. He's not trying to, again, I know we love that picture, right? We, we want to just think that we're going to walk into a mansion and we're going to hit that foyer and there's going to be steps going up both sides and there's going to be a chandelier hanging down and there's going to be a, a, a pool room out back and there's going to be a game room over here and there's going to be a cinema room over here. You know, you know, we're like, yeah, I can't wait. I got news for you. The emphasis here is not the extravagance of the room. The whole point that Jesus is drawing our attention to is the fact of how big it is, how many people will be there, and the fact that you will be able to dwell there. That's what he's calling our attention to. What city are they in? They're in Jerusalem, right? What, what, what dominates the Jerusalem skyline? The temple. 
right? In Luke 2.49, Jesus says to them, Why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? Where did they find Jesus? What was the Father's house? It was the temple. However, there, there's, there's a problem. And the problem is this. The temple, while big, is not large and vast. All the pilgrims coming into Jerusalem for the holy festivals that required you to make a journey to Jerusalem couldn't fit in the temple. It wouldn't contain or hold everybody. Not only that, you couldn't live there. You couldn't camp out in the temple and just stay in the Father's presence because the symbol, we talked about this when we talked about grace. Now, one of the ways God revealed His grace to us was a, a physical manifestation you saw in the Old Testament. They knew when God was there. So the temple was where God's presence was resided, and it lived back behind the veil in the holy of holy places. And it was great that God's presence was there, but you couldn't go. You couldn't go behind the veil. You couldn't stay in the courtyard. You couldn't journey into His presence. You could not abide in the Father's house. Look at what Jesus says. I'm going to the Father's house where there are many rooms, where there's enough rooms for everybody. Immediately, it takes us to Revelation 7, 9, where it says, I looked around and there are people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every ethos here worshiping the Father. How much room is there in heaven? Enough for everyone who believes in Him that you will be there. And then Jesus says, not only that, it's not like you're going to camp out. right? One of their festivals, they would come and they would pinch a tit and, and they would live in the booth for seven days. And they still do it today. right? If You can see this in, in Orthodox Jewish communities in New York. They'll take their um, balcony and they'll turn it into a sakat and they will, they will dwell in there for seven days. But even then, they didn't dwell in the temple. They were on the outside, then they would pack up and go. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to my father's house where there's enough room for everybody so that you can come and you can dwell there. You can remain there. You don't have to leave. That's what I'm doing. I'm going to secure your eternal destiny. But look at what he says in verse 3. Again, there's a really important word before I go. He says, if. He says, if I go. Well, what's the opposite of if I go? I don't go. So Jesus is implying to them that if he doesn't go, then the rooms won't be ready. That they, they, they won't have a place to go. Now, if you're like me, you first read that and go, well, that's kind of a, that, that's odd. What, what is he trying to teach the disciples? What is he trying to teach us? Because after all, it flows from his argument back in verse 33, where he calls them little, yeah, some of y'all got that, where he calls them little children. So follow the logic, because this, this is a beautiful truth. Follow the logic. Little children, turn them of endearment. If they're little children and Jesus leaves them, they're going to be what? What would you call somebody whose parents left? They are an orphan. What would you say? Orphan. They're going to be orphan. They're going to be homeless. Right? Look at what Jesus says. He says, you're going to be orphaned one way or another. 
So you have two choices. Either I don't go to the cross, right? Peter, you you prevent me from going to the cross. I don't go. Then you die. You die in your sins. And on the other side of the sin, you're an orphan and you're homeless. Or Peter, I go now. I go to the cross. I leave you orphans here and now in this world so that when you die on the other side of the cross, you're not left as an orphan and homeless. Because I go to the cross. There's the resurrection. I go. I prepare. And then, Peter, I'm going to come again and take you so that where I am, you may be also, so that you won't be orphaned for all eternity. Which one do you want? You want me to stay here or do you want me to go away? It's in the disciples' best interest. It's in our best interest that Jesus goes away because when he goes and he dies on the cross and he's buried and he resurrects and he returns to the heaven, he secures our eternal adoptions as the child of God. And in doing so, he secures our eternal home. Wow, you got a troubled heart this morning? How about remembering that Jesus has not forgotten us? That he's not abandoning us? That he has promised us heaven? He's promised a glorious place that is created for us. And in creating such a glorious place, Jesus looks at us and says, Do you think that I'm really going to abandon you and not take you that where I am you may be also? I am doing all this for you. I'm working for you. I am doing this for you. And it's through the cross. Isn't that amazing? You've got troubled hearts? Remember that Jesus has a place prepared for you so that you can abide forever in the presence of the Father, which is really amazing. But you want to see something even more, not more amazing, but also amazing at the same time that just shows you how great our Savior is? Look down in verse 15, verse 4, and I know I'm trying not to get ahead of myself in our series on John, but you just have to see this. Verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. Now, the word abide there is the exact same word that is used when he talks about dwelling places. It's really the difference between a verb and a noun. It's the difference between record and record, right? Bring me the record. I want to record this song. As Jesus is doing this and teaching them, he says, yes, I'm going to secure an eternal place for you so that in heaven and my father's house, you can live with me forever and ever for all eternity. But he says, you know what? You can embody me now. You can live in me now and I in you in this life. The preparation for our eternal abiding in Jesus through the cross and the grave begins on this earth where he says, you can abide in me now. You can live in me now. Isn't that glorious? Troubled hearts, what do we know? I know that we can abide in Jesus. We know about the glories of, of heaven, right? Interesting is Jesus is calling our attention to this. This isn't Matthew 24 and 25 where he talks about destruction and everything that's, that's happening to soothe our troubled hearts. He talks about the glorious reality of heaven. 
And in talking about the glorious reality of heaven, he says, you can experience that now by abiding in me and understand that the glorious reality of heaven is not a mansion. It's me. It's me. And you can have that now. You can have the solution to your troubled heart now. Every company that is out there in the world offers you solutions, right? I was trying to think through all the commercials that I hear when I listen to the radio. Right? Need the perfect candidate for a job? Well, indeed you do. Go to Indeed. Right? They, they, they offer that. Need to lose a few pounds? Planet Fitness has got you covered. And they're judgment-free zone. Right? You, you need to go somewhere, travel across country. Delta says it'll get you there. And then you got Granger, right? The Granger commercials basically say, if you've got a problem, we've got a solution. We got a solution for that. You need duct tape, we got a solution for that. They, they can solve everything. You know what commercial I've never heard a company run? You got a troubled heart? We got a solution for that. Because they don't. Yet we know what the answer to a trouble, the solution to a troubled heart is. Jesus looks at the disciples, looks at us this morning and says, if your heart is troubled, believe in me. Believe in me. Believe in who I am. Believe in what I've sent to do. And believe the work that I am doing for you so that you can abide in me, I can abide in you. And by the way, just to make, give you the cherry on top of the ice cream sundae, I'm going away to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be and you may abide with me and abide in the Father's house forever and ever and ever. You have a troubled heart this morning. Jesus stands and says, I am the solution. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.